Hello everybody and welcome into episode number 291 of the Bible 2021 podcast. We are reading John chapter 4 today and our focus is on learning from Jesus how to have spiritual conversations with those who don't believe. So every day we are diving into the Word of God with you, seeking to understand it and follow it. Our goal is to encourage you in daily Bible reading, getting into a habit of being in God's Word every day. Our website is Bible2021.com. That is Bible2021.com. And you can leave us a comment there, ask a question, and check out show notes for every episode. Now, most of the comments and uh, contacts we get are quite positive, but, you know, a few of them are, are negative, and some of them are just pretty crazy. Pretty much any time I do a show on the last days or whatever, I know I'm going to get some pretty nutty comments from people that know exactly what's going to happen or exactly who the Antichrist is. Maybe one of those these days I'll read you one of those comments because some of them are really pretty uh, complicated and out there. But uh, we got a negative comment this week from a woman named Jenna. She says on our episode about being born again, she says this was said the phrase born again, to one old Jewish guy in the middle of the night. Jesus, she put his name in quotes, not sure why, uh, didn't preach this as the constant message of his ministry. Obviously, it wasn't central to the core of the, quote, gospel. So why is this the constant message of yours? He also told one young Jewish guy to go and sell everything, but I don't see Christians taking that one to heart. You folks refuse to approach your stuff with any type of context. Well, first of all, I appreciate your use of the word folks. That's a good word. You don't hear too much in California, but usually I just ignore comments like this. But I wanted to read it to you just to give you an idea of the kind of thoughts and criticisms that critics have of Christianity. Some of it we've earned. We've brought it on ourselves. Others, eh, not so much. In this case, I've done, uh, since the beginning of 2020, 656 daily episodes of this podcast. And episode number 290, which was yesterday's episode, was the first one that I had done that more, more than merely mentioned the phrase born again. In fact, I chose to do yesterday's episode on Jesus's teaching on being born again simply because in Again, 656 episodes, we haven't covered that topic before. Second, I would say I do actually know of some Christians who literally sold everything and followed Jesus to the ends of the earth, including Moravian missionaries that we've talked about more than once before, David Nitschman and Johann Dober, who actually went one step further than the rich young ruler. They sold their possessions and they sold themselves into slavery for the sake of following Jesus' great commission. Finally, she notes that we refuse to approach our stuff with any type of context. And I guess I would say that this is pretty much what this entire podcast is about, all 656 episodes, to understand Scripture in its context. Now, look, here's the thing. Most of the criticism you see online, not just of Christians, is this kind of criticism. It paints with an extremely broad brush, makes sweeping generalizations, and honestly is often demonstrably wrong. No need to fire back on critics. I'm not reading this to make fun of anybody or anything like that. Just be aware that much of the criticism you receive will be untrue. 
Dismiss it when you're sure it's inaccurate. Don't spend time worrying about it and learn from and repent of the wrongs that genuinely accurate criticisms reveal. Even when criticism is demonstrably wrong, let us deal with our critics with grace, gentleness, and humility. Well, on to our main topic. What can we learn from Jesus about interacting with people who aren't Christians? In John chapter 4, Jesus encounters a Samaritan woman and asks her for water, gently leading her into a deep discussion of spiritual matters. In doing so, Jesus breaks breaks several societal taboos and also gives us a wonderful example of interacting with people about spiritual matters. Let's read the passage, learn from the Master, then we're going to discuss it. This is John chapter 4, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. When Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, though Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went again to Galilee. He had to travel through Samaria, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, she asked him, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket and the well is deep, so where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. Jesus said, Everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again, but whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. Sir, the woman said to him, Give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. Go call your husband, he told her, and come back here. I don't have a husband, she answered. You've correctly said, I don't have a husband, Jesus said, for you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Sir, the woman replied, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus told her, Believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus told her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Just then his disciples arrived and they were amazed that he was talking with a woman, yet no one said, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then the woman left her water jar, went into town and told the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They left the town and made their way to him. In the meantime, the disciples kept urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said, I have food to eat you don't know about. The disciples said to one another, Could someone have brought him something to eat? My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work, Jesus told them. Don't you say there are still four more months and then comes the harvest? Listen to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes and look at the fields because they are ready for harvest. The reaper is already receiving pay and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper can rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true. One sows and another reaps. 
I sent you to reap what you didn't labor for. Others have labored, and you have benefited from their labor. Now, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of what the woman said when she testified. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of what he said, and they told the woman, We no longer believe because of what you said, since we have heard for ourselves and know that this really is the Savior of the world. After two days, he left there for Galilee. Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When they entered Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him because they had seen everything he did in Jerusalem during the festival, for they had also gone to the festival. He went again to Cana of Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. There was a certain royal official whose son was ill at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea into Galilee, he went to him and pleaded with him to come down and heal his son since he was about to die. Jesus told him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Sir, the official said to him, Come down before my boy dies. Go, Jesus told him. Your son will live. The man believed what Jesus said to him and departed. And while he was still going down, his servants met him, saying that the boy was alive. He asked them at what time he got better. Yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him, they answered. The father realized this was the very hour at which Jesus had told him, Your son will live. So he himself believed, along with his whole household. Now this was also the second sign Jesus performed after he came from Judea to Galilee. So, I see at least five things that Jesus does here in his conversation that we can benefit from. Number one, he breaks societal norms to have an important interaction with a woman who needs him. The Bible doesn't forbid men from talking to women or vice versa, nor does it forbid Jews from talking to Samaritans, but the mores and rules of the society in Jesus' day frowned upon both things, and yet Jesus went against the current to the shock of his disciples and the woman at the well, and he struck up a conversation with her. Number two, Jesus initiated that conversation in a non-threatening way, asking for help. He didn't lead with a question like, if you died tonight, do you know where you would spend eternity? Now look, I'm not saying that's a bad question, but Jesus didn't take the abrupt and direct route here. He began with the mundane, the common. Number three, Jesus listened to the response of the woman at the well and offered up engaging responses to her statements that were meant to draw her in, to pique her interest. He interacted with her very, very well. Sometimes Christians in a witnessing situation sort of simply say their spiel, and if it works, great. If not, on to the next target. But Jesus didn't do that. He listened and responded based on what the woman said and asked. For instance, Verse 10, Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Number four, Jesus addressed a major issue in her life without condemnation. Jesus is God, therefore he knew somehow this woman's history. In first century Jewish society, there would likely have been a great deal of stigma and shame attached to being married five times and living with a sixth man who wasn't her husband But Jesus didn't guilt trip her, and he didn't candy coat it either. He spoke to her with dignity and grace, but directly. He did not sweep the truth of her life under the rug. Finally, number five, Jesus waited until he had earned her trust before he shared deep truth with her, first about the nature of worship and then about himself as Messiah and Savior. Now, do we need to follow this exact pattern when speaking to non-Christians about spiritual things? Well, I don't think we need to do this exact thing the exact words that Jesus has used, but his approach here offers much we could learn from in talking with people. 
One quick question, maybe it struck you. Why in the world, when the woman at the well asked Jesus for living water, did Jesus ask her a question about her husband? On the surface, that makes no sense at all. But here's Pastor Tim Keller on the very important reason why Jesus did this. In this interesting discussion, says Keller, he's saying to this woman who has come to the well to get water, I have a water that if you drink of it, you'll never thirst again. And she looks at him and says, sir, give me the water. What is this water that if I drink it, I will never thirst again? Give it to me. What does Jesus say? Go get your husband. Why is he changing the subject? Well, she says, give me the water that if I drink it, I will never thirst again. He says, go get your husband. She said, well, I don't have a husband. He says, I know you've had five husbands. And, you know, wait a minute. What about the water thing here, Jesus? What are you doing? What are you coming on to me like this for? What are you hurting me for? But Jesus was not. It was like divine therapy. Don't you see? It wasn't a non sequitur. Here's what Jesus was saying. He says, you want the water of life, the water only I can give you, and you've been looking for it in men. You've been looking for it in husbands. You've been looking for it in love. You've been looking for it in sex. You're never going to find it there unless you make Jesus your true love, unless you assuage the deepest thirst of your soul in me, says Jesus, unless you make me your true love, you're going to go into one or the other dead end. You're either going to make an idol out of some human being, or you're going to make an idol out of your own selfish independence. That's why Jesus was pointing her to where her treasure was and directing her to turn her treasure to himself for salvation. Well, let's close with our Bible memory passage for the month of October, which is 1 John 4, 7 and 8. And it says, Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. Amen. Good day to you, friends, and Godspeed.